welcome to another episode of We Are Not Wizards. My name's Richard and I will be your host for today or tomorrow or a year from now, probably even a year ago as well, because um, after all it's your podcast. Now, joining me today, um, he's kinda, he likes a bit of a challenge in his life. He doesn't like to play it safe. You could often even be said to say he likes a little bit of adversity in his life. He's, it's the one, it's the only, the man who has a Kickstarter on the go just now. So this is a quick start on a Kickstarter. I give you the rather wonderful, the rather fantastic, Mr. Joseph Norris. So hello, Mr. Norris. Hello there. Hello. Hello. Are you well, sir? <clears throat> yeah, I'm great, thanks. Good. How are you? Um, yeah. I'm a good nine. I'm a nine point four today, on the Richter scale of life, which is a bit, right. it's a bit shaky. But you know, we're getting there. We're trying to pack at the moment, Joseph. It's a bit of a, it's one of these things. We sold the house, and we just try to get everything kind of organised and up and running. Which means I, I finally have to face um, how many board games I actually have, which is quite, <laughs> which is quite a scary thing. Um, but you are here to have a chat about your. Kickstarter project, which is called Nightlancer. That's right, yeah, Nightlancer. Um, um, but before we jump into that, I guess we better sure. say hello to everybody out there and say thank you for joining us. The reason why we do this is, you know, there's just not enough podcasts out there about board games. Uh, there's us, there's a couple of Scottish fellows now, there's uh, Unlucky Frog, um, there's Giant Brain. Um, there's us, there's other people out there, but there's mainly us. And the other reason that we do this is because, um, well, pretty much uh, Joseph got in contact with us, said he was running his Kickstarter, and um, I'm nosy. So if somebody says they want to come on the show <laughs> and talk about stuff, then I say yes and try and fit them in. So that's why he's on. So thank you very much for coming on, Joseph. Really appreciate it. Um, Thanks for having me on the show, and uh, I hope I can satisfy your curiosity. <laughs> you don't know which questions I'm going to ask yet, mate. <laughs> you better, we'll see. You better, you better buckle down. Um, it's fine. Um, what we do like to do is we like to find out a little bit about the um, history, um, like how you got into the hobby and stuff like that. Uh, sure. Um, so do you want to tell us, you know, as I say, we're going to have a, um, well, let's have a kind of a little bit of a check back in the past. Let's have a little bit of a focus on the daytime of the present before we jump off into the night lancer of the future. Um, So do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the hobby? What, all the way back to the beginning? As far far back as you want. You know, if you were born in a board game shop, then that is fine with me. If you cut your teeth (laughs) on cardboard, if you crawled amongst the meeples, you know, if you were weaned on dice, then whatever tickles your fancy, sir. I I can't really go back as far as I'd like because I can't remember that young. Um, I think I was about... I mean, I was definitely gaming when I was eight. Um, My my dad's a pretty big gamer and he got me into it very young. And... So that was playing, like to begin with, I think the first kind of real, as in not, you know, traditional family game type board game I played was HeroQuest. Um, and got into role playing games have you, shortly after that. Have you still so got, got HeroQuest? Do you still have a I'd, copy of it? I don't have it myself. That would be my dad's. All right. Okay. Do you still do you still get occasionally a chance to actually have a have a look at it? Do you see what it is? Do you ever kind of get a chance to I, play it again with your dad? Um, I, I've had a look at it occasionally, but now I, I look back at it and it's I, I can't really say I see any appeal to play it anymore because I've moved on into other games now. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you correct that statement. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure you've seen the video on YouTube. There's certainly the best things about Hero Quest is the ability to go back and play it again. So, right. <laughs> was it was it was it that doesn't appeal to you apart from the role to move the incredibly high difficulty level and and the monotony well, of the levels? Is there anything else you don't like about it? Um, I mean the the role to move thing is a big factor. It's a very 
I don't know. I mean, I, as I, I haven't actually played it for a very long time, or even looked at it for a few years, but I remember it being kind of very random. And you say, Roll to Move is just one of the many random elements. Um, outside that, yeah, pretty much everything is, is kind of hit or miss. And it's not a type of gameplay I, I like, really. I, I like, when there's risk in a game, yeah. I like it to be kind of risk you can control. Right. So, if you want to take a risk, it's up to you as the player to choose, I'm going to take this risk. Uh-huh. But there's also going to be kind of a safe option. You can try to play it safe, maybe for a lower reward, yeah. rather than just you have to risk everything all the time, every time, which denies the player control of the situation. They don't actually have control of what they're doing, if that's the case. Did your dad beat you a lot then at Hero Quest? Is that why you don't like it? Uh, <laughs> was he? Oh, oh, or who was the dungeon master? I, I think he was. Uh, um, I don't actually. Yeah, I think he was running it more like a GM running a role-playing game. Oh, right, okay. So it was kind of like, ultimately he wanted us to win, but he wanted to give us a fight doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Did you get to the end of the level when you beat him and say, okay, let me tell you what you did wrong and how you could have beat me quicker? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't remember anything like that, no. (laughs) But we, after, after... Kind of playing, I think, a couple of the pre-written scenarios. We started going into his homemade scenarios. Mm. I think that was what led into us doing uh, role-playing games you know, and playing uh, kind of Dungeons and Dragons, Middle Earth role-playing, uh, Traveller, mm-hmm. a bunch of others. Did you have like a, a favourite go-to character when you're role-playing? I mean, are you like are you dwarf or are you barbarian, a rogue, thief? Um, for a w- long time, I was always kind of trying to try everything out yeah. and not really make a decision on that. But more more so in recent years, I've actually been kind of thinking more seriously about what do I actually enjoy role-playing rather than just trying different stuff out for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. And when it comes down to it, I like the, the kind of more upfront, like, roguish fighter type. All right, okay. So I, li- I like being on the front line and getting into the action, but I also like having a few tricks on my sleeve. So a couple of knives in the back pocket, a winning smile. Yeah, you know, something like that. Yeah, could... just to make it a little bit more interesting, give me some options when fighting doesn't look like it's a good idea. <laughs> kind of a high, high, uh, kind of a good persuasion kind of thing going on, which is always good. Um, did you stay? I mean, have you always stayed within the role playing games, or have you kind of jumped into other things as well? And... Well, I I started out. Well, I mean, I was, I was moving to a lot of other board games. Around that time, I also started wargaming oh, around okay. 12, I think it was. I was 12 when I first started wargaming, maybe a little bit earlier. Uh-huh. But yeah, I started out with, um, I can't even remember the name of the game, but it was like a World War Two miniatures game. Yeah. That was my first one. That wasn't very interesting, so I moved on to Warhammer 40,000 after that. Um, did you have a, did you have a the, decent collection? Uh, I still have. A, Do you? Decent. What do you mean by decent? Like, how, how big is decent? That's what I mean. It's a measurement, isn't it? <laughs> it's like people okay. talking, like, you know, are they talking in thousands of miniatures or hundreds of miniatures? Because I would say a decent collection is enough to field at least maybe about two or three armies would be decent, different choices. Right. How many, how okay. many miniatures you got, Joseph? I've never actually done a head count, oh, like, but so I worked it out. Well, no, 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 really. I have done a points count. Okay. <laughs> uh, the last time I checked um, okay. a few years ago, I think my points value for my chaos, uh, 40k chaos army mm. was 10,000. So how many figures have you got, Joseph? I would have to estimate like three, 400 for my chaos army. That's not bad. Um, then there's my space orcs and right, okay. my... What Oh yeah, my Ultramarines. Uh-huh. I've also got Warhammer armies. I've got my Dark Elf army. I've got my Orcs and Goblins army and my Dwarfs army. They're all relatively small. They're like a hundred or two hundred models each. So, a couple of thousand. <laughs> uh, yeah, when you when you count in my Battletech miniatures <laughs> and my my uh, Star Grunt and Dirt Side oh, miniatures as well. So good. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, decent. <laughs> <laughs> so four quid walking oh. and go that's decent Joseph <laughs> oh there's also my, my role playing game miniatures that I painted up just for fantasy games and, and sci-fi like cyberpunk 
while playing games as well. So how much of your stuff's painted? I mean, do you are you are you a guy that you know you? Oh no, this this is my painted stuff. Sorry, <laughs> no, my unpainted <laughs> stuff. I can't. <laughs> I, I have no idea. <laughs> oh, this is brilliant. Uh, so how big is your collection? Well, I've got a couple hundred of these. Oh, then I've got a couple hundred of these. Oh, then I've got a thousand of these. I've got ten per thousand points worth here. And then what about the painted stuff? I've got unpainted stuff as well. <laughs> I didn't mention my tanks. I just... <laughs> I must have oh, about 20 tanks in my chaos This is where it all army. kind of unravels. This is where it all unravels. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? This is where it's all kind of... This is where the truth will out. Because I just have to say, it's a couple hundred thousand. Decent. <laughs> it's approaching indecent, Joseph. How many... <laughs> How many, um, okay, how many unpainted then? Are we getting into thousands of unpainted? I, I seriously have never tried to count that. I, I there's, there's this box I use to move into my, my current home, yeah. and one of the, the boxes I, and that, I, I move my, like, rest of my possessions here with, and that has all the boxes of miniatures I haven't painted in. It's a pretty big box. I would big. guess another few hundred models in there. Oh dear. So, okay, when you're doing your work, <laughs> I'm really glad you came on. Still not going to talk about your game yet, Joseph. We're going to get to the bottom of this, right? That's fine. Okay. When, how do you decide when you paint? Do you only paint? Sorry? How do you decide when you paint up something? Is it because you're using an active army? Or. Nah, I just. because I, like, I wanted to paint them. So you don't kind of make a decision and say, okay, this one I'm going to paint, this one I'm not going to paint. You just kind of like, um, whatever you're I using at just, the time. I, I see a squad I want to paint and I paint it. I mean, it's not even relevant to what I'm playing with. I, I don't, I mean, I haven't actually been an active war game. I mean, I haven't painted many images for a while. I've kind of been focused on other things, like Night Lancer. Um, I heard. So I, I got... <laughs> This this all got set aside a few years ago. Right, it's trying okay. to kind of focus more. But yeah, I um I actually spent more time painting miniatures than actually playing with them. So the priority it's not really anything to do with kind of playing the game. I mean, I've got so many miniatures, I never have to worry about being able to field a solid army that can handle pretty much any opposition. <laughs> so <laughs> like the Jeff Bezos of miniatures, then you've actually got so many miniatures. <laughs> If you dropped a miniature in the street, it would actually cost you more in miniatures to stop and pick it up than actually just leave it <laughs> on the ground. That, that wouldn't... Yeah, that might be about right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you just pick them to paint them if you like the look of them? I mean, so do you have armies that you feel that you haven't painted or do all the armies that you feel are they painted? I think I have fielded all of what well, I fielded all of the armies. Um, whether I fielded every single miniature, no. Right. I haven't used every single model yet. There's a few kind of squads that I, I haven't actually played a war game since I finished them. That's not bad. I mean, it's, and some that just. I mean, let's face it. I would, I would, I would demand to see somebody who has got stuff in their collection that they haven't used or they haven't played or in some <laughs> cases haven't kind of un unwrapped. This is a fact. I saw a thing today that said there is there's two types there's two sides to the board gaming um tabletop hobby. There are those that play games and those that collect games. Which is now two separate <laughs> sides because I know of people that have got lots of games and have played five of them. And I know also people that have got, like, they go, I've got, you know, I've got 800 games. How many have you played? Some! <laughs> and then you get some days, how many games have you got? I've only got 25 games. Ah, casual. And then they're like, I've played the ball, like, five, ten times. And it's like, I'm actually getting the value of my games, kind of thing, which is mm. always kind of is always kinda good fun. So if you continually stayed in the... T in the <clears throat> kind of Warhammer tabletopy type space as opposed to jumping into the friendly cardboard stuff? Or have you kind of combined the two? Oh, I've got my uh, my board game selection as well. Okay. And my role-playing game selection. Is 
Is, is it? I just want to get into that too. Is it a, is it a, de- <laughs> is it a decent number of board games, Joseph? Uh, I would say I've got about 40 board games. So you are casual then? That's... Uh, collect- I'm, not, I'm not a board game collector. No. I'm, I've played every single one of well, them that's pretty, at least well, once. That's pretty good then. That's pretty good. Have you? I mean, do you try and stay up with the kind of the latest stuff then, or are you quite selective about what you, what you kind of get in terms of the board game stuff? Um, I'm pretty selective. Yeah, a lot of what I get, it's kind of looking at stuff that because I've been really focused on the Night Lancer world for the last few years. Yeah. I'm always looking for something that maybe gives me a different perspective mm-hmm. on cyberpunk worlds or dystopian worlds, mm-hmm. or. Or even just like games of co- with uh, head-to-head conflict in them. So if I see something like that on on Kickstarter or even just any in a shop, I'll get it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Outside of that, I, I only get something if it looks really if it really grabs me. Okay. What's the last thing you kind of bought? Uh, the last thing I bought was actually a war game. Okay. <clears throat> called called Open Combat. I picked it up at the UK Games Expo. Oh, okay. See if I've got it around here somewhere. I'm sure I do. Oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 by a guy that it's by a guy that actually worked on Necromunda and he, he oh, really right, okay. I mean, really knows the stuff. Yeah. It's got some really cool stuff in it. It's uh by sec- yeah website secondthunder.com. There you go. They get a free uh, plug. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. I'll edit that out. Um, <laughs> okay, sure. Joking. Of course, I'm gonna keep. <laughs> Probably ask. I'll probably say, "Oh, who's that? Okay, and and who's it? You know from there?" And you know, I'll be annoyingly emailing them, asking them if they want to come on the show and get dogs abuse <laughs> as well. Um, do you, I mean, do you go into if you're making a decision on buying stuff? Do you do mm-hmm. a lot of research, or do you do like a, an impulse kind of buy? Because obviously, you don't. You've got a reasonable <clears throat> collection. Are you the type of person that kind of sits down and says, "Oh, I'll look at reviews," or? You know, I'll. Um, or are you quite kind of okay, like, what, I like the look of this, so I'm just going to go and jump it. I mean, what was the buying decision behind the, the game you picked up at the expo? Well, Open Combat, that was uh, because I talked to the, the designer about the gameplay, and he really. He talked about some features in it that really impressed me. Yeah. And I, I'm. I, I've played a lot of war games, and there's always kind of a few things that seem lacking. And he had. Well, not, not lacking, it's just the solution they had. Maybe it wasn't the best. And I think Open Combat has some solutions uh, to kind of certain issues in, in a war game that are really kind of beautiful and organic. And, and the result kind of organically fits to the, the way the, the core mechanics work. Like, basically, you don't need any real special rules to handle kind of massively outnumbering your opponent or backing them to a corner or, or anything like that. All right, okay. Because the, ba- because the basic gameplay, the basic kind of combat resolution has built-in mechanics that automatically kind of fit perfectly in with, with kind of massing on one opponent and outnumbering them or cornering them because the hand-to-hand combat has this kind of pushback mechanic where if you roll a certain result on your attack die, you don't cause an injury, but you push your opponent back. And if there's an obstacle behind them, like another enemy or a wall, they can't get pushed back because I think they get injured instead. So, you know, in a, in a man-on-man fight, they're just going to be moving back and forth across the battlefield in a way that's very kind of uh, theatrical. Yeah. But if they actually get surrounded, if you've got one guy surrounded on all sides, he's just going to get pounded into the ground, because he can't back up, yeah. he can't move back, there's another guy right behind him with another sword. <laughs> no, I mean, it sounds like something that is... Uh, that's pretty cool, because I think uh, one of the things that's nothing worse than you going face-to-face with somebody in like a combat situation, and then you smack them for six... And they're just still standing there, <laughs> not doing anything. And it's just like, okay. And then they're still in range so that when they hit you back, they're kind of hitting you back at their almost like their full force. So you can end up like getting damaged. You're like knocking them back, putting them to one side. And there's, you know, there's no kind of effect apart from maybe damaging them a bit. So that sounds kind of, that sounds pretty cool, actually. Yeah. That sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. Are you, I mean, are you going to kind of get it to the table as quickly as you can then or? What's the plan? Um, I will. I'm hoping to get it to the table in the next couple of months. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, obviously you've got certain other things. I do. I do. Yeah. You might. That 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 thing that thing to not be named is it? 
it's, you know, it's a gloss over it every single time you try to bring it up to the conversation. <laughs> Welcome to We're Not Wizards, where we actually don't talk about the game that you've come on the show to talk about until it's far too late and everybody's and everybody's dizzy. Um, how, I mean, is this the first game you've designed? No, no, no. I've been design, playing around designing games since I was, I think, 14 was the first one I made. Mm-hmm. It, I, I was playing this um, game called Aliens, which is based on the second, the, the Aliens movie, the second one in the franchise. I don't think anyone's heard of it beside me and my dad, if it's his, it was his game. Mm-hmm. And basically it plays out the events of the movie. You take the, the colonial marines into the reactor room, things go to hell... Uh, you have to fight your way out. Then it skips, kind of has a a, a gap of a time break between that. And you have to rest, heal up your marines if any of them are wounded. And then you get to the operations room and you've got to fight your way out of that. Fight through the vents and get to the exit. And the, the the same kind of the main fight scenes from the movie. It doesn't have the fight between Ripley and the Queen Alien uh, in the core game, but the expansion pack adds that in. Right. Okay. Um, and that was one of the games I was playing at the time. The other game I was playing at the time was Necromunda. Yeah. So uh, the, the the what I wanted to do from playing these two games was was thinking, what about uh, Necromunda in space with aliens? That that was basically the concept. <laughs> <laughs> so you had you, you, these these uh, salvage gangs going out into space a little bit like I might be playing Space Hulk as well at the time. I uh, can't remember. Um, going out into space and, and exploring these derelicts and coming into fights against kind of various aliens. And then, you know, you would, if you survived, you would get uh, payment for all the stuff you salvaged and XP for all the aliens you overcome. And you can buy more gear and level up your skills and so on. And so, did how far, how did, how far did you get with these designs then? I mean, are these actual things or are these still well, stuff? Well, that. That one never got played, um, I'm sad to say. Oh. I mean, I, I've actually kind of lost it for years. I think I lost it about two years after I started it. And I actually managed to find it again about a year ago. Mm-hmm. I dug it out. Um, I didn't. All of the all of the digital files are gone. I just have the printouts I have. Because mm. I, I had modular map tiles, and I had lost those files, but I had the scans. So I just scanned everything back in to start working from that point, basically. So have you, have, I mean, um, I mean, have you got other games that you've put together? Are you mean, are you kind of still doing the kind of a lot of the hybrid stuff or? Uh, no, that, that was my, uh, I guess that was my only kind of real hybrid game that was like that. I've got another, I don't know, eight or nine prototypes that are playable at the moment. That I've been playing around with various, from various inspirations. Um, I've got, one is a, a kickboxer game where it's a two-player game that's built, split into basically two rounds. One round where you're training your fighter up to fight, and then the second round of play you're fighting your opponent head-to-head. Mm-hmm. That was quite interesting. And I, I was inspired to that because um, I, I used to do Thai kickboxing for many years myself. All right. And it's like, you know, when, when I when I learn about something in the real world, I think about a game to make from it. Um, the other one was the one of my other games is called Arachnida, and that's because I happened to be reading a book on spiders, because I saw it in the library and thought, let's let's find out about spiders. And then I made a game based on it. <laughs> <laughs> I take it you're not afraid of spiders, then? Um, I'm not overly fond of touching them, because... <laughs> I don't think they, you're they, being they, a minority for that. I think if you stood up... Because they, they they, kind of, it kind of bugs me that they keep going all over the place. But that applies not just to spiders, that's all insects as well, as, as arachnids. Um, I mean, I'm not afraid of them beyond that point, I guess. Um, I, obviously, I have no, I'm not, I don't freak out when I look at pictures of them or, or anything like that, I'm, or look at movies of them. So, I've... it's it's not... It's nothing more than just I don't like crawly things on me. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I don't think that's an unusual an unusual stance to take for things. Um, what kind what kind of spider facts have you learned, Joseph? Can you hit us up? Oh. Can you hit us up with the Joseph eight minute spider facts? Can you hit us up with three facts that you must you would you would you would really like to know about spiders? Or you could do ten, and then we could do that thing where we say, and number seven will make you cry. But um, 
Oh, um, I, I don't know if I can do ten from memory. That's fine. Um, I might just be, a couple. I might couple. be able to do three. She's fine. She's good. So there's one. There's one interesting species called the flick flack spider. Uh-huh. Well, I don't know if it's called the flick flack spider or if that's the way it's described. Uh, I mean, presumably it has a proper scientific name of some sort. Who knows? Um, but basically, it uh, it kind of throws itself in a kind of cartwheel to move across open ground really, really terrifyingly quickly. <laughs> Uh, that was pretty much yeah that that was very interesting um there's you realize there's somebody gonna be there's gonna be somebody thinking about that what countries do you find that in oh i i can't remember off the top of my head i mean if you want i can just look it up and i've heard that what they do is they actually the preferred place to go is in the back seat of cars (laughs) so if you're listening in the car just now whatever you do don't look behind you Especially at the stop sign. <laughs> you turn around, there's a little cartwheel and spider going back and forward. Uh, another one of the uh, other ones, interesting ones was... I can't remember if I... I remember what it's called correctly. But what they would do is when, when they're, they're young, come out of their egg sacs, yeah. um, they will kind of dangle like very, very fine gossamer threads, um, which they'll kind of let out. And then they can... Uh, use that to float through the air because they're so tiny and so light oh. that the wind catching on that little thread of gossamer is enough to lift them away. And that's how they distribute from when they're born, so they don't just all spread out from one place and devour everything that's nearby. They spread out over a wide area and so they can like, kind of get more access to food because they're not competing as much over the local area. That's pretty cool. So remember that they're really light, but the <laughs> gossamer thread is quite sticky. So they could land in your hair when you're outside. And you wouldn't even that... you wouldn't even realise <laughs> that you've got piles of spiders in your hair. That's that's true. You wouldn't. Um, <laughs> the, what, the, fun, the the funniest thing about this, I don't think I don't know if it was um, this species or not, but there are definitely some horrifying pictures of well, horrifying if you're in the area, horrifying pictures of entire kind of rows of trees just coated in webs. I, I, it's like, sweet, for sweet, ho- sweet. like 50, 100 metres of, of, of 50, 100 metres of wood uh, of trees, like tree line just coated in webs and, and what's the third what's the third because this is the third one we're, we're the, the third one, okay by the, second. <laughs> <laughs> the third one um, what's it called I can't remember what it what it's called but it would use, rather than spinning a web mm. This species of spider will dangle a single bit of web with a, a, a big drop of the, uh, the the sticky substance they use mm. attached to it. Mm. And then when an, uh, an insect comes by, and they can do this on creatures as big as moths, they'll flick the little the glob of, of glue at the end of their, their thread at the insect and whip it out of the air. <laughs> That's it's amazing. And did you say... <laughs> it's, it's incredible to watch. And they... And they they, ha- they hang about in showers, Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I haven't had any reports of them hanging about in showers, but I don't see why I, not. They say it's a favorite a favorite haunt in them. So um, <laughs> now that folk are running about going, I'm cancelling my subscription to this podcast. <laughs> Came here for cardboard. Yep. I've had an awful day, and then I've been like, I can't have a shower, I can't go in my car, and I can't go out in my garden without having to come in and have a shower, thinking I'm covered in spiders, <laughs> and then realise that in my shower there's a big spider. <laughs> and then I'm going to get extra strength cab shampoo, so I get into my car, and then I look in my rearview mirror, and there's a spider cartwheeling back and forward across my back seat. <laughs> or the parcel shelf. Or maybe there could be two or three, and they could be doing a routine. That'd be awesome. Uh, um, yeah, so... um. But my game of Arachnida has lots of kind of different features. Like th- those are actually three of the features that your spiders in the game can have. Awesome. Um, but it's actually so it's actually got quite a lot of kind of real world information. Like it doesn't uh, st- hold you to the real world breeds of spider, but it has kind of whatever combination you you like or you get dealt um, of kind of the traits that are from real world spiders. And do you think that game's going to do well on Kickstarter? <laughs> I. <laughs> I'm. I, I have no idea on how that one's going to work. I do intend to avoid going kind of horrifying with the artwork. When I, well, I, currently it's all very prototype using kind of clip art and stuff like that. 
But when, when I do go to getting proper artwork, I expect I'm going to try to keep it from being too intense because that's going to put everyone off. I would just, and when it comes I, down to I it, would maybe have instruction booklet, and when you open pages <laughs> of the instruction booklet, it's just a little a pop, up, pop up spider. Pop spider's got a bit more of it. No, I, I, I want to. What I want to do with that is kind of keep the artwork relatively non-threatening. Because when it comes down to it, a lot of people are scared of spiders because they don't understand anything about them. And if they're playing a game where the spider artwork isn't too threatening, and they can actually learn a lot about what spiders are really like, and where the actual dangerous breeds are, Australia, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and then there were a few other countries, but Australia's got a lot of them. <laughs> exactly. But that's that whole, was it, the Peppa Pig thing getting banned again? Because, did you hear about uh-huh. that? No, I don't know. Peppa Pig, they've got an episode where Peppa and George find a spider and they say like and I think one of them's really, really scared and starts crying and then Daddy Pig comes in and goes, it's okay, they're fine, kind of thing. And they had to ban that from Australia in that particular episode because obviously (laughs) little small tiny spiders in Australia ain't necessarily like nice things. So they had to actually ban that that kind of episode. We're... Let's talk about the game. Okay. 35, 35 minutes in. It's not... <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. Um... Night Lancer. Okay. Yeah. Um, so. You're sitting about reading your spiders, trying to get your webs out your hair, um, thinking mm-hmm. about orcs in space and stuff like that. Where did the idea come around for Night Lancer? Where did you kind of okay. first kind of go, ooh, this could work? Uh, the original idea from Night Lancer, mm-hmm. <clears throat> at the very beginning, it was always kind of from playing a lot of cyberpunk themed role playing. It was like like the cyberpunk role playing game and the Shadowrun game, space time, cyberspace. I think there was another one I can't remember the name of right now, but there's quite a few actual cyberpunk themed role playing games out there. Um, is a lot of the problem with role playing games is that unless you've got a really solid group, it's probably going to fizzle out before long. Like I, a lot of people I find don't are. Uh, unlikely to have games campaigns that last more than say six months or a year like my last gaming group i was i was fortunate to meet people that i could actually have a group with uh, have a campaign with for, yeah well have a game group with for three years we never actually managed to finish any campaigns even in that period because we kept kind of switching about between games we we got to level 19 in a D game that's the closest we got to the end of a campaign mm. <laughs> um so yeah that was one of the issues was <clears throat> you never really get to finish a role-playing game. So that was kind of part of it, was I wanted to take the role-playing game experience and bring it into a single game session. So you can go through the really important stuff. You know, which which missions do you take on? Do you replace your body with machinery? Do you take a stealthy approach? Or do you just blow everything up? Uh, and one of the and bring all that into one session. And one of the things I could do with the game that you can't do in a role-playing game is I've also added in, do you shoot your friends in the back? Because in a role-playing game campaign, that doesn't work very well. You know, that makes a very chaotic environment and no one can really try to build towards everything, anything. But in a single game session like Night Lancer, you can stab each other in the back all you want. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, and oh, yeah, cyberpunk theme was because I, I've, I've, been a fan of the cyberpunk genre since uh, I don't know, 12 I think when I played 2020 the first time mm-hmm. and I played Shadowrun shortly after that. I also played uh, DMZ, Downtown Militarized Zone, which is a board game based on Shadowrun oh, right. which I think is one of, those, one of those little known ones Okay um, How do you play it? I mean because you've got, I mean, you've got in here that says like it, it plays over two hours which is mm-hmm. that's kind of Shortish. That's a Friday. That's a Friday evening at the club. Potentially type of game. That's kind of getting set up and kind of getting running. I mean, is it is it one hundred and twenty minutes to play, or is it one hundred and twenty minutes per player? I mean, are we are we am I staring down the barrel of the eight hour gun here, Joseph? Or no, 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 no. Uh, okay, so two hours is the expected gameplay length for a uh, four-player game when the players know the game. I mean, right. these num- the numbers people designers put on the side of the box are for people who know the game. It's always like that. <laughs> I <think> everyone <laughs> knows that. <laughs> um, I would expect it to take three hours for complete beginner gamers. Yeah, okay. Um, but I've got a lot of feedback, actually, that though it has got quite a sharp learning curve to begin with, 
you'll actually, once you get to grips with it, once you learn the rules, it actually starts to flow very smoothly because kind of all the rules do fit together. I mean, uh, one of the bits of feedback, I'm not trying to kind of blow my own horn here, but um, is that once you kind of read the rules and kind of fit it all together, it actually makes a lot of sense. Mm. They're all very logically laid out, very logically fit together. Okay. So once you know them, it actually flows quite nicely once you get over that kind of the first round learning curve. Right, okay, okay. How do you play? What happens in a round? I'm, sit- okay, I'm sitting so... there with my three buddies and we're just going, let's get it on, we know the rules, how do we play? Play. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the the game round is split into four main phases. Um, you've got the prep phase, where you kind of get to recover a little bit, you get some of your health and resolve back, which are resources you kind of spend when you do difficult or risky things. You get some money, you get kind of a gradual, very slow income, and you get to draw some more contacts to your hand, which are kind of your connections you're making in the underworld, your contact network, people you can kind of get favours from. Um, After you've done that, which is the the downtime step, you get the event step, where you flip over the next round card, and this sets you up for the round. So you get a new set of black market cards drawn. Uh, The number depends on the number of players. If there are four players, you get ten cards out. If there are three, you get uh, eight. If there are two, you get six cards out. Uh, you get a new set of mission cards out, and that depends on the round card, because the distribution of mission cards is... Firstly, the amount can change. Um, it can be between three and four mission cards, mm-hmm. and the distribution between low-profile and high-profile missions varies throughout the game. So in the, the early rounds, the first half of the game, there'll generally be more low-profile missions, which are easier, but they pay less. And then the later half of the game you'll get more high-profile missions, which yeah, more expensive, which pay more, but are pretty tough. Okay. I mean, a lot of the time, you wouldn't ever expect to pass a high-profile mission in the first couple of rounds, yeah. unless you get one of the easier high-profile missions. Uh, so once you've drawn cards, uh, then you have to face the event on the round card. And that's where the game tries to trip you up. Something happens in, in the underworld uh, dystopia. Some gangers come and like stalk the streets looking for people to harass, or you know, toxic smog, descent, smog descends on people and you need to kind of understand what's happening in time and protect yourself against it and know how to do that without getting hurt. Um, or the police come around and, and knock on your door if you've been causing trouble. So when that comes up, you'll have to, if it applies to you, because the police only come and knock down your door if you've accrued enough heat, which is like how much the authorities are aware of you and how much trouble you're getting into. Mm. So those events only trigger if you've got heat. You can avoid the police by not generating any heat. Um, The other events typically will always apply to you. So if it's like a gang out harassing people, you've got to either stare them down and convince them you're not worth the trouble, or uh, just avoid them entirely. If you fail to do that, they're going to come and they're going to either take some money off of you or uh, they're going to beat you up if you, haven't got, if you don't want to give them any money. Okay. Okay. Um, so the police, if you come up against them, you're going to get to a fight and that's often going to be pretty tough because when, when you're on the uh, streets, you're not carrying around your big obvious gear because you, know, you can't walk down the street carrying an assault rifle and wearing a, a flak vest. It's too obvious. Gangers will take it as an invitation mm. to rob you. <laughs> that's what happens when you walk down the street with obvious hardware. <coughs> Gangs just rob you. Well, that's, <laughs> it's just not. That's Birmingham, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah. We have to touch on this a bit, Joseph. Why Birmingham? Um, you don't particularly okay, basi- sound like you're from Birmingham. No, I, I'm not. I'm I'm from Oxford myself. Um, I've been to Birmingham a few times. Uh, have a bit of a sense for the city. I've been. I mean, I've been to the UK Games Expo a lot of times. I've also yeah. been around Birmingham a little bit. I, I went. Uh, when I recorded the film for the Kickstarter, the company I did it with, Hillpeak Productions, we recorded at a studio in Birmingham, and that gave me a bit more of the 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 less NEC side of Birmingham, <laughs> to put it NEC. put it politely. <laughs> um, okay, so the reason Birmingham. Okay, in the, the setting I have. Please come on. <laughs> in the setting, I I um I chose I have plans for London that aren't compatible with the Night Lancer world. Basically, it's, it's completely kind of rebuilt and regulated and nothing obviously criminal could happen there because it's all so tightly controlled. Yeah. So you couldn't actually live the, the Night Lancer life there. Yeah. Um, Birmingham, because it's kind of one of the uh, one of the other bigger cities in the country, and um, I, I thought it was suitable, shall we say. Did you have a list of, did you have a list of other cities? I mean, did you like go Coventry? 
Uh, I, I think I did look at some others, but I don't think Coventry ever got on the list. <laughs> what did get on? This is fascinating to me because it's just what else got on the list? People, we demand uh, to know, Joseph. I, I uh, now I'm going to have to be trawling up um, vague, distant memories because it was about, I think, three years ago when I made this decision, and I can't actually remember beside the London thing what my choice <laughs> what, what what the choices were why, why I made that that's choice. fantastic no, I just love it uh, I love it I, I, pro- I probably I could probably find out if I went through all my old it's, notes no, it's okay. on, on world building but no it's okay at some point obviously you'll need to because you know when there's funds and everything like that you're going to get like some professional podcast interviewers <laughs> asking you these questions you're going to need to know these answers you aren't going to get off as easy as this I'm just letting you know I'm just letting you know right um, we, we, I was talking about the game round, wasn't I? Um, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that was the event. After the event, uh, that's if you can, if you want to face the event, you can yeah. always avoid the event by laying low. But that means you lose out on the next step of the round. Okay. So you face the event and take the consequences. You might lose some health. You might lose some money. But you'll have the option of taking a mission. If you lay low, you avoid the event. You're safe because you're hiding. You also get to recover, you get to reduce your heat, get all your health and resolve back. So it's kind of the the big take a round off doing a mission and get a big recovery back option. Um, but if you do that, you don't get to take a mission, which is the next step. Mm. The mission step is when players who aren't laying low get to take it, take their Night Lancer token, which is one with the Night Lancer's face on it, and put it on the mission that they want to do. So you'll do this in turn order... Um, and if someone gets to a mission you want before you do, because you're later in the turn, yeah. you get three options. You can either ask for their permission to join their crew and team up with them, um, and then you, know, you can combine your skills, work together on the mission, and then split the money at the end. Uh, if you don't want to team up with them, or they don't want to, you to team up with them, then your next option is to compete with them head-to-head and start a second crew. And that's when things get very kind of cutthroat in Nightland. So that's the most, I mean, the, the head-to-head kind of mission system. You kind of race to the end of the mission yeah. through the, the stages of the mission. And whoever is in the lead at the end of the mission gets to lay an ambush for the other player or players if they've got more in their crew. Wow. Uh, and so whoever gets to the target first gets to choose the terms of the combat which is almost always going to be in their favor it's only when you've got a really strong combat character following you that there's ever any chance that you're not going to have like if, if it's only if you've got a very strong character following you that the lead character isn't going to have good odds on their side yeah. it's always risky so it's more about getting into the lead than uh kind of fu- preparing for the fight although you can prepare for the fight and actually just try to cover all your bases so if it does come to that you know, you can take them, or at least have a good shot. Okay. So when you're first playing it, probably everybody will want to kind of play together. But as the as you get more confident with how the game works, then there's that temptation to actually kind of stab each other in the back, kind of thing. Yeah. No. No. Not at all. Players go for each other first time all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I think about a third of the games I've played, like a third of the games I've demoed. Yeah players have gone for the throat on the first round really? straight for it it's it's very interesting like, i wasn't actually expecting that when i first started doing public demos <laughs> <laughs> it just goes to show how um yeah it just goes to show yeah it really it really comes down to the players you know some players want to play it safe yeah. they want to avoid conflict some players just want to kill each other <laughs> <laughs> how was it i mean with you i take it you developed the game night lancer mostly by yourself then uh, I, I mean, I've yeah done all the development work myself. I've had some people that I've kind of gone to and talked to about the game uh-huh. and got some advice from them. And of course, I've got a huge range of playtesters. Yeah, so I, I can't take ask. all the credit. So was, I, mean... I, I can't take all the credit for the game because I wouldn't have got this far without all the playtesters I've had. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, is it how easy is it to get kind of playtesters for a game that isn't there, that isn't that doesn't have the art, which is could potentially just be. A deck of cards with some, you know, some writing on it. Is, it, I mean, did you did you have to make the game Night Lancer presentable before you started people kind of play testing it, or were you just kind of going out there and saying, right, okay, let's get the basics down, let's see if people kind of enjoy it first of all. Uh, fortunately, I had some friends who were willing to play test for me okay. while it was still very early stages. Right. Um, but I did. I did transition to some slightly better graphics and some proper printed cards. 
a couple of years ago, and that was, I think, that was when I started demoing it. And I think I wouldn't have got much success demoing it if I was using my old kind of handmade components, because they didn't look good. And even though I was still using my own graphics, I'm not a graphic designer, they aren't very good, uh, the prototype graphics on the, on that iteration, where I, I did some proper card printing, yeah. um, I think with the, the Game Crafter, uh, was still a lot better looking than the original build with very, very bad graphics. But I had also started getting some of the illustrations done at that point when I switched to a proper printed game. I had the um, eight Night Lancer illustrations done by my, my illustrator, Mandolis uh, Frangidis. He's a Greek artist. And Where did you find, um, where did you find them? Your artist? Uh, Board Game Geek. Oh, so okay. I put the ad out on Board Game Geek, cool. and um, I think he, he impressed me. I mean, he's got good art, and he was enthusiastic for the project from day one. That was that was kind of really important. You know, an artist who kind of just says they'll do it, but doesn't actually seem to care. Like, yeah, even if they've got good technical skill, if their heart isn't in the project, then I'm not going to be as confident in their, their you know, commitment. Does Did you... But, Okay, here's a here's a maybe a strange take on things. When you're getting the artwork getting sent to you, did it give you ideas for different things to do with the game? Did it actually influence the design process itself with some of the pieces that were getting produced? Um, not an awful lot. No, uh, I think there were like yeah, the, the, as I got more of the illustrations done, I was thinking more of. And extra places in the game where I could include illustrations, mm-hmm. where it would actually be helpful for the gameplay. Like, uh, originally, the contact deck, I mentioned it earlier, your contact network, Yeah. the contact deck never had illustrations on it, and I never had um, illustrations in mind for it. Yeah. But once I was working with Manolis and uh, getting the illustrations done, it actually struck me as kind of really valuable to have the character illustrations on the contact cards. Because in the contact deck, there are 15 contact uh, unique contact cards and there are duplicates of each of them yeah um but you can kind of miss that if you're just if you just got the name of the card to go by you could actually miss that it's the same contact if you get two of the same card yeah but bring, having the illustration there uh, really brings that together and it actually helps make some of the other cards make sense because one of the things you can do in that answer is you can actually kind of burn one of your contacts all right okay um and and you lo- you sacrifice some of your ideals for doing this, but you uh, but you get some money basically. You, you you sell out one of your contacts, you get a big chunk of money, and you sacrifice your ideals. Uh, and the help the help of the illustration there is once you've burned a contact, you have to keep the card in your hand because you have to have at least one card for that contact in your hand when you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you keep that card that you've for the contact you've burned beneath the uh, opportunity card that allows you to burn the contact. And if you ever have one of those contact cards again, you have to discard it straight away. If you've burned their contact, they are not talking to you anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay. And having the illustrations on the card really helps bring that together. You know, so you're you're going to have this kind of visual representation of the character, and you know if you see that character again, you've just got to discard that card. You've you've you know ruined your yeah the the, the situation with them. They're never going to talk to you again. It also means that it actually affects the distribution of the card deck because there's one less of those cards in the game because that contact has been burned and is kind of dealing with that. So even the other players are going to have less access to that contact from then on. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like... I mean, is a. did you ever have any kind of balancing issues when you're putting the game together? Or was that something you're constantly kind of working on through the kind of the um, playtesting and things like that? There were some major balancing issues early on. Um, so one... I don't know if it's really quite so much a balancing issue as more of a kind of... Uh, player interaction issue. There used to be some different game mechanics for uh, combats. <clears throat> there was an entire mini game for combats in the game um, where you would kind of pause what you're doing, get out the combat card deck, and both the player who's facing the combat and uh, one of the other players who would take the role of the enemy in that combat yeah. would have combat cards, and you'd take it in terms of playing cards with different effects on, like, you know, headshot or. Uh, explosive barrels or something like that yeah. and that would let you give you different effects depending on which card you played and you would fight until one either the player or their opponent ran out of health mm-hmm. um, but in a three or four player game that was a big problem because it meant that, that the third and fourth player would just do nothing yeah. for that period Okay. so that that had to go that was a problem once I started once I moved beyond two player playtests yeah. and I think in hindsight even in two player playtests it's just an extra level of complexity to the game that wasn't necessary. Yeah, you're just adding so, in kind of mechanics and functionality for almost like the sake of having it. 
maybe being slightly different kind of, as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I cut I cut that out entirely. So now all of the con all of the challenges work in the same basic way, where you test your ability and the cards you play against the difficulty. The only difference now for combat challenges is that when you fail a combat challenge, you lose health as well as any other penalties. Whereas normal co normal challenges and non combat ones, you've still got some penalty for failing a challenge, yeah. but you don't have the additional health penalty. Okay. Okay. So combat challenges are still high stakes, but not excessively complicated. <laughs> Uh, the other balancing issue, the main kind of game-ruining balancing issue, uh, was getting the balance right between the, the difficulty of the mission cards, uh, the availability of the black market cards, the Night Lancer starting ability levels, uh, the abilities for the contacts to help you out, and just getting that right so that you don't get stuck the moment you start a game incapable of doing any missions, yeah. but it's also tough enough that you get a challenge. Yeah. Like, I... I I had one playtest. I think we quit on round two out of eight rounds because the missions were just too hard. We couldn't actually do anything. Yeah, yeah. So the game became, you know, lay low every round and do what you can with the other resources you've got. Yeah. You... Because missions were out, were out of reach. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I've seen games that have kind of gone through that and actually um, suffered from that because you there's no way for the player to get back from being in a losing position. I think the sign mm. of a, a sign of a decent game is no matter kind of what the situation is, you should be able to either win through in some way, shape or form, or at least be able to prepare enough to come back in the next round. And mm. you know, I've seen games where you're like, Well I can't there's nothing there's nothing much I can do because I just don't have the the kind of the resources to kinda of take something on. I've seen it strangely mm. enough more in um Kind of one-on-one -on -one card games, when you get like yeah. some, when somebody kind of just manages to draw the magic hand, and there's just absolutely nothing you can do about it. You know, you're just sitting there going, "Well, I might as well just go make myself a cup of tea for all the good that's gonna, it's gonna kind of, yeah, it's gonna kind of, gonna do me." Um, I, and I'll admit that was actually for a while that was one of the problems in Night Lancer too. I mean, um, there was a point where. The balance was such that if you messed up a mission, you were probably going to struggle to catch up for the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and that that was something I fixed about a year and a half, two years ago, I think. Yeah. Kind of, I, I fudged the way the difficulty, the, the missions pay off. Um, I made the lay low thing more power. I think, I think that was actually when I added the lay low thing because that meant when you can't do a mission, at least you get a big kind of recovery for doing that for passing on a mission. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes it really worth it when you when you mess up for a round, you fail a mission, you're wrecked, you're out of health, possibly out of resolve. Uh, you can get a very quick recovery, get all of it back right away, get a little bonus, no heat and no event to deal with, and next round you can definitely get back into the action. Okay. So who did, how how's the winner of the game decided? I mean, how do you the winner? Yeah. The winner of the game is basically prospects, which is uh, victory points. Um, so you can accrue these throughout the game. You can take on. Some missions will actually actually give you prospects outright. Mm -hmm. um, you can also buy prospects every round during the street phase, uh, but the, the exchange rate on that isn't great. Normally, you're better off trying one of the alternative routes to get them. And the main other route you can get prospects during the game is the opportunity cards. This gives you access to things like extra training, um, kind of investments, uh, charitable acts that you can use to boost your ideals. Um, extra kind of buddies and you can kind of build up your, your network or friends as a, a way of boosting your ideals um, and so a lot of these cards will give you prospects like the, the, the pure investment cards and most of the skill cards will give you prospects outright because they, they improve what prospects are is it's your prospects outside of the underworld life it's your capacity to leave the underworld in the chromatic dystopia as it all comes collapsing down and kind of build yourself a life outside, do something better. So having things like big investments in the outside world, having kind of really high good skills that you can kind of put to use in less, you know, criminal underworld ways is how you build yourself up for that. Okay. Okay. And then finally, during the end game, you get one last opportunity to buy any well, one last chance to buy any opportunity cards. Um your ideals are worth a prospect each. So that that's uh, it gives you a lot of swing in the last round to get a lot of prospects so the scoreboard isn't... It, it's a fairly good indicator of how things are going. Mm -hmm. But until the final scoring, you really can't tell how it's going to go. Unless there's like a 15-point gap between two players, you can't be 100% sure which of them is going to win, just looking at the scoreboard. 
Alright, okay, okay. Um, so you can buy it for opportunities, get any of those you didn't, you couldn't get during the, the game because you were doing other actions. Uh, and you also get a bonus point for having the highest score in each ability, each of the six main abilities. So there's a few other things you can get points for in the end game as well. Okay, okay. What's it been like kind of launching the game on Kickstarter amongst all the noise that is always Kickstarter? I mean, getting the kind of the marketing together. I mean, you obviously you've, you've got the design down pat. What it was, what was it like kind of changing the, putting a different hat on and putting the kind of the marketing on, in order to get the kind of the, the word out, I guess. Well, that was uh, pretty hard work for me. It's not. I mean, I, I think this is actually my main kind of lacking area is the marketing side. I'm not so good at that, and I know that that's probably holding up my campaign a little bit. Um, that I'm not kind of good at getting out there and, and selling myself to people and all that stuff. So that's been quite hard work, kind of getting getting all the the places to get the word out and kind of how to get the word out in the most effective way to kind of communicate the game to backers, mm. perspective backers, the best. Uh, so yeah, that's been a lot of work, kind of a lot of catch up, and uh, kind of making it all work. <laughs> And of course, reach, reaching out to people like yourself and, and trying to. Yeah, I mean, you sent uh, us a pretty damn fine email to ask, you know, which is why you got on the show. I mean, that's why. <laughs> right. That's why we always say to people, you know, if you have, if you're interested in coming and having a chat, then drop us a line and we'll see about fitting you in, kind of thing. Mm. And and that's why we kind of, you know, that's why we've kind of ended up talking tonight about um, eventually about your game, which is always, which is always <laughs> a good thing. Um, for people who have kind of listened along, and um, I mean, how do how do you get in? How do you get in the door? What's what's how much is Nightlands are going to cost you? Um, so yeah, the the, the get, to get the core game, the pledge level is forty five pounds. Uh, that includes free shipping to anywhere in the UK and US. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a bunch more pledge levels. You have got the limited edition version of the game, which has some bonus Nightlancer characters, which are actually the two characters that kind of talk you through the rule book. Right. Uh, you get some extra, extra artwork on the game box, you get an art book in the box as well, which will kind of bring together all of the, like, there's a lot of artwork in Night Lancer. You know, there's going to be 15 contact illustrations, uh, 10 Night Lancer illustrations, including the two bonus characters. you got, I think, 45 different black market card illustrations in there as well, plus some extra illustrations like on the cover and used for uh, marketing and so on. So you'll get all of that and, and comments from the artists in the art book. Um, going beyond that, there are the kind of get included in the game pledge levels. Yeah. So you can become one of the contacts in the game. There are, there are 15 different contact cards. Uh, 14 of them are left. One of them has already got an illustration um, on it. And that, that costs £120, which gives you the limited edition game plus becoming one of the contacts. That's pretty cool. Then next up from... Sorry? That's pretty cool. Cool. And uh, my my the illustrator Manolis has done this for a bunch of other successful games before. Like he's very experienced in uh, taking kind of pictures from from backers and turning them into character illustrations in the game. Oh, okay. So I'm confident. I'm very confident he'll be able, to, be able to do a good job of that. So the next level up from the contact pledge is the antagonist pledge, where you become one of the enemies of the Night Lancers, and these appear on the mission cards. So you'll get like uh, one of the the corporate security goons in his armor and gear, or you'll get one of the the peace officers or uh, one of the gang members, and you can become one of those illustrations and get included in the artwork for that. Um, and that's 150 pounds for that. And the the top end pledge, which is which is more like if you really just want Night Answer to succeed and you really can throw this much money at it, sort of pledge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because to be honest, I don't seriously expect anyone. To back this, although one person already has, which is the thousand pound pledge to become an entire extra night lancer. So you actually add to the components of the game if you pledge at this level, which is why it costs so much. Yes. Uh, so not only do you get to become part of the illustration for the new night lancer card, right. you also get a choice of uh, illustrate. There, there was a six night lancer concepts that I can bring into the game without, you know, breaking the the, the time frame basically. Um, so you can become one of those six, and uh, you'll get your own special edition of the, limited edition copy of the game, of course, shipped to you anywhere in the world with no extra charge because it's already a thousand pounds. So, <laughs> um, 
<laughs> and also, I, I'm offering a uh, kind of a day to uh, meet with me, kind of play play my night answer or any of my other games you want to play, um, or talk to me like this and kind of grill me on the night answer world and anything about it. I should be charging you for this if I'm going to charge that sort of rate, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, I, I'm. That's really. That's just. I kind of. If someone's going to back me on that level, I'm going to give them the day. Basically, if they want to make use of it and learn about the Night Outer World or my other games or anything else, I'm happy to just give them that day. Kind of as, a, as um, thanks for yeah, that. Yeah. Kind of, you know, help paint some miniatures. <laughs> oh, you know what? That's actually an option. If that someone wants me to paint, paint their miniatures, I wouldn't option. mind doing that. that yeah. An option. And where where can we find you on the interweb nets? Uh, pretty much any social media site the company website uh, Adversity Games is adversitygames.com but yeah you can find me on Facebook under Adversity Games or Night Lancer there's a page for both I'm on Twitter Adversity Games and it's all one word no weird characters or anything in there and on Instagram same again amazingly the the string Adversity Games is available on all these sites it was a miracle just a a sign of good research (laughs) That's all, Joseph. Just the sign, well, just the sign of, of of really good research into your brand and your merchandising. There's nothing much better to be said than that. If you want to find us on the interweb nets, and I don't know why I'm saying it slowly in a staccato voice, <laughs> but we you can find us on Twitter at we're not wizards and Facebook at We're Not Wizards and Instagram at We're Not Wizards and we are also on we've got a blog which is we're not wizards.blogspot.com. Um we've got a couple of bits of writing on there and as we started to say, unless you start to read it, we're gonna put more stuff on there. Um because we love you. And um you can find us on places like YouTube, which is We're Not Wizards Tabletop Podcast. You can find us on all the podcast catchers like Stitcher and Spreaker and Acast and Podknife and Podbean and all these wonderful places. Um, we have had a few reviews on the Apple Podcasts. So thank you very much to everybody who has given us a rating or a review. If you want to give us a rating or a review, then remember... Don't give us ten stars, because it makes us big-headed. And don't give us one. Don't give us one, because I'm an ugly crier. Give us something in the middle, like five, because it's average. We're a little, we're a little bit average. But the person who's not been average tonight is the rather, rather wonderful, the rather amazing, the rather. Got a decent collection of miniatures <laughs> from Adversity Games. It's Joseph Norris. Thank you very much for coming on. All right, thank you. Um, and we got through the first phase of the game. <laughs> <laughs> we can always do some more. <laughs> you, can, you can come back. You no, know, if I, I could probably try to wrap up the rest of the game in a minute and see how that goes. Do okay, do it. So, street phase. You get on, after you've claimed a mission, you go into the street phase. Everyone gets four actions. They take it in turns, placing their tokens on the game board. So you can do things like buy from the black market, take any other contact, add it to your hand, exploit one of the opportunities in your hand, uh, hustle on the slums to make some more money, <clears throat> or you can buy it, take a loan from the loan shark. Uh, you do all that. There's some other actions as well, but those are the main ones. Once you've finished the street phase, once you've all taken four actions each, you go into the mission phase. In the mission phase, you take it in turns, taking on the mission you've claimed, you pay your loadout, and you take the missions on the... Uh, on your go, you take, do the three stages of the mission in order. On each stage, you choose one of two routes on the mission to choose suit your Night Lancer's abilities. If you pass, you move on to the next stage. If you fail, you face a penalty, but you can still move on to the next stage if you survive. Once you've passed all three stages, you get paid at the end, and that's the end of the mission phase. Once everyone's done that, end phase. Finally, turn order is adjusted to match the heat order, so whoever has the most heat goes last, whoever has the least heat goes first. Finally, you discard down to six cards if you've got more than six in your hand. That doesn't sound as interesting <laughs> as the first phase. <laughs> I, I don't. I think I've got everything. I think there. you peaked at the first bit. <laughs> just saying. I've just said if people listen to the first bit, they're going to back. If they listen to the second bit, they might not. 
I feel like I could take another 15 minutes going through all of that at normal talking speed that's rather than... That's weekend, that's fine. Oh dear. You'll be glad you come on. Ah, uh, right. Thanks for having me on. It's been fun. <laughs> it always has. Um, there's only two more things to do. Oh, yeah? First thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. <laughs> are we wizards, Joseph? Uh, no, we're not. Not in Night Answer. There is no magic or dragons in Night Answer. Yes. Back this game. Back this game with all the money that you have. Please. This is the game that you've been waiting to back. Back this game it's with doing... all of your heart and your love and your soul. And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's goodbye to um, the completely interrupted the second or third phase of his game, Mr. Joseph Norris from Adversity. Same game. Say goodbye, Mr. Joseph Norris. Don't hate me. <laughs> Alright, goodbye. <laughs> That's a goodbye for me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, and maybe pay attention to what your guest is saying so you don't miss out on the second, third phase of his game that he's trying to explain and he's trying to get out there and get it kickstarted and funded. <laughs> but, until, but until the next time, goodbye. Say goodbye, Joseph. Goodbye. I'm sorry, Joseph. <laughs>